God has shown me some amazing stuff in my daily readings of this book. And in doing that, one of the things that I have seen here is personal holiness. Uh, Without personal holiness, you are ineffective for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not only that, anything you will be doing will be solely and wholly your own strength. As Paul has already shared in this letter, you will be building with wood, hay, and stubble instead of gold, silver, and precious stone. Okay? And without personal holiness, uh, how effective am I to other people? Okay? And it's not a matter of I have to walk in absolute perfection. Uh, this young group that I had this morning um, dealing with what I see as the whole summation of Scripture in three words. Faith, hope, love. And that's basically the Bible. What my faith is in is directly related to what my hope is in is directly related to what my Love is in. And you know what? It's seen. It's very, very evident. You can't hide it. And so, what you have in this book, 1 Corinthians, is dealing with the problems among Christians. I mean, we can look just this morning and say, He, who here does not have problems? And then I would just say, if anyone would say no, uh, I would think whoever's sitting next to them, move. (laughs) Because it's going to be embarrassing here in a minute. Um, One of the things that is a passion of mine, and my wife would tell you that that is an understatement, is the church. And what is amazing about the church is, is that the church is a place for sick and hurting people. It's it's almost like a Christian hospital. Okay? But what you will find in the true body of Christ is that body of people, I'm not talking about people who have hangnails. I'm talking about people who have tortured souls, broken hearts, Um, They are living lives that are cataclysmic in heartache. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 7, verse 1, he begins it with the fact concerning things which you wrote. There were some problems in the church in Corinth that they had gotten a message to Paul and said, this here is a problem, and how do I deal with it? You've got to remember, chronologically, this is his third letter. He's only written First and Second Thessalonians, and now he's got this one. Now, I understand that this is actually the second letter he's written to them. The first one we do not have, um, which, well, I'd give anything I'd get my hands on it, because I'm imagining it was a dandy. <laughs> uh, I bet it was as good as the third one. <laughs> but... Uh, um, He's dealing with some questions, and the questions are marriage. And we look today around just just this group today, and say, well, how 
how, how many problems and questions can there be in marriage? And I would say that you have your head stuck in the sand if you do not understand the questions surrounding marriage. And 25 through 40, he refers back to reasons for remaining single. And I believe that this is a, a, a crisis, crisis issue in the church today. Um, we've just come out of a, a, a phenomenal study for myself, 17 through 24, on our responses and how we move through uh, Christian, a Christian in society and the things to watch out for and the things that should be of no concern. Um, and, and I want you to know before we step into these verses, 25 to the end of the chapters, I am not against marriage. I'm a very happily married man. Uh, I, I like marriage. I have a, a certain fondness for marriage. Uh, it's just something that's just kind of cool for me. Um, <laughs> but I do see a problem in the body of Christ concerning marriage. Here's why. Do you realize that we live in a very insecure and explosive world? That the security and calmness of the world is non-existent? Nice. Some of you would agree with me because I watch CNN and I've seen the President Bush and he's in Turkey and all the rest of you. But I have a gut feeling that most of us, the ripples that we are dealing with in our lives today are manufactured. And, and I see in our society today, in the, in the church... And it must be realistic, and it'll just take our church. Most people in this room today are married. The rest are anxious about it. I don't care the age, except for maybe Adam, Kendall, Jake, Josh, and Matt. But there's always somewhere in there that I'm thinking about dating or knowing or relationships with the purpose of what? Why is that? I mean, listen, I'm a fan of marriage. But let me explain something to you. The thoughts that you singles have on marriage today are highly overrated and are manufactured of your own imagination. Because you can't take two sinners and put them together and draw harmony. <laughs> and I don't care. I understand the power of my God. <laughs> I also understand the power of marriage. <laughs> okay? And I just want you guys to be aware that what we're going to deal with uh, I give you six reasons. Here, I thought I only gave five. I gave six reasons why to marry. Now I'm going to give you six reasons not to. See, that's what I like about the Bible. It's balanced. <laughs> okay? It, it's very balanced. Um, and and, and the, the norm is, is marriage. 
Um, and yet, the Bible understands that God has gifted. When you think about gifts of the Holy Spirit, what do you think about? I mean, we think about speaking gifts or serving gifts, uh, or we think about uh, tongues, maybe, or interpretation of tongues, prophecy, da 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 just go down through the line. Do you understand that singleness is a gift? Being single is a gift? And if you have been gifted in this way, um, what are you going to do with it? Because even Peter, we've looked at this in the weeks past, Peter calls marriage the grace of life. Paul exalts marriage and says that it's a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. So there is an exaltation that goes to marriage, and marriage is the norm. But what I have witnessed, and, and I, you know, part of me says, do I want to give the gender of it or things like this? And, I'm, and what feeble wisdom I have, I've decided not to. But it almost that 25 to 35, a panic sets in if I have not married. And we can take the preacher six points for marrying, and if I can get four out of six, close enough. Because my God is a miracle worker. Okay? I remember someone very precious and dear to me at one time in my dating life said, You know what? You have such great potential. So at that point in time, I'm young in my faith. I don't know about six reasons to get married. Okay? I look at that now, I had one out of six. And so I'm sitting there going, Potential? (laughs) Okay? And I'm going to have to ask. I was praying that this message would be encouraging to single people. I'm not sure it's going to work, but (laughs) I prayed that. Um, Where you're at, and this is what we've looked at in verses 17 through 24. um, Where you're at, married, single, your job, whatever you're at right now, what's your focus? What is the bulk of the meditation of your mind on? Okay. Um, and I'll be honest with you. We, quote unquote, we Christians have a tendency to push towards marriage, don't we? Let me ask you a question. I want to, I, this is going to be a thinking sermon for you guys. Sorry. Right now. Right at this moment. How many of you truly are seeking the desire and the design of the will of God in your life? Okay, now, you know, it's easy. I know what your answer is right now. I mean, why are you here? How about 1 o'clock this afternoon? How about 8.30 this evening? Ah. Sunrise tomorrow? How about Wednesday? 
That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Though the issue on the table for chapter 7 is marriage versus singleness. Okay, We've seen three basic principles about being single in just chapter 7. One, it's good. Verse 1, chapter 1, or chapter 7. Verse 1, it's good not to touch a woman. What does that mean? Well, it means not to touch a woman, not to be involved with a woman. Verse 7 says, you know what? It's a gift. It's a charisma. Remember that word. You're going to get killed with that word in chapter 12, 13, 14. All right? It's just going to go over and over and over and over and over and over. Charisma, charisma, charisma. Okay? And third, marital status has absolutely no relationship to salvation. There's no need to marry. There's no need to get single. You're not more spiritual married. You're not more spiritual single. You don't need to change it. How important is this? Okay, now I want to bring you to the text, to the book. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with a body of believers, of saints. Okay, I'm going to take you back. Chapter 1. For the word, verse 18, for the word, the logos of the cross is silly. It's foolish to those who are perishing. It's foolish. Okay? Yet in verse 18, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Wisdom, Sophia, Sophia, love of what? Wisdom, knowledge. You know what? Every one of you in this room have a love for knowledge. It may be absolutely useless knowledge, but we have a love for knowledge. I've read some reports, secular reports, that says the love for knowledge is greater than the sex drive. We're always in the process of trying to grab information. It may be absolutely useless information. But think about this. We are, many of us have jobs. What is our jobs? And what is the information that I have to take care of my job? And trivial things. But I have an absorption that I have for knowledge. And yet God says, I have made that knowledge useless, foolish. I've defeated it. You know what happens in the church right now? I can sit and just look at the group that is here now and see completely different blends of knowledge and understanding and philosophy. And I guarantee you that many times that will battle your understanding of who God is. Guaranteed. Why? Because it does mine. It does mine. Alright? And then if I have a conflict in and of myself, then what happens to the body of Christ? If I have a conflict of, here's what I perceive in humanity, here's what God has shown me, they are at odds, and I am fighting with it. Which is better for me right now? What happens to that? The body of Christ suffers because of that battle. One person... One person. He says, I want you to have unity. I don't want you to be divided. Verse 13 of chapter 1 says, has Christ been divided? Chapter 2. That whole text right there, beginning 18 through the end of it. 
I mean, he concludes it with a profound statement in verse 31. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. I've determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? What does it mean when the Apostle Paul says, I'm determined. The word literally means I have set my mind and I will not be wavered to the left or the right. I am going to work at this. You know, I watch my kids' video games. Okay? How many levels can I get through in the course of this summer vacation? Okay? And they walk around, they'll have thumbs that look like gorillas. Why? I am determined to beat this level. Okay, and we laugh. We think, I'm goofy kids and all the rest of it. Let me ask you a question. How determined are you to get a vacation this summer? What do you place your determine, your energy, your focus on for what you're going to do? Why? It's no different than a video game. I am determined to learn to play the guitar, but why do I have to learn a B minor chord? And if you haven't played a B minor chord, you don't know why. Because, it's... <laughs> But once I get into the B minor chord, I can't go anywhere else. I can't do a C, a D, or anything else. Because all my fingers are stuck, just like that. Okay, And they roll kind of right down the frets. It's really cool. But it's like once you're there, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> and it's like, I guess if I was going to play a song and the last chord is B minor, I'm good. But if it's in the middle, I got half the song up to B minor, and then I'm going to play B minor until the song is done. All right? Well, you guys laugh, but I'm determined to learn how to do this. I am determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Intimate knowledge, a love relationship with this person. Hmm. He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message, that would be the private, and my preaching would be the public, were not with pervasive words of wisdom. I didn't have really cute stories. I didn't have really great terminology. I didn't have great punctuation. I didn't have wonderful ways of phrasing things. I didn't have ways that you sit there and go, what an orator. That's what Paul is saying but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest where? There it is again, Sophia. Wisdom. It will not rest in the wisdom of men, but where will my faith rest? Power of God. Look at verse 14. Natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. They are spiritually examined. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Have, have you guys ever had somebody just say something about you and, and, and just hurt you? I mean, they just said something that might have been off the cuff or something like that. But that verse says that you are appraised by no one. Have you ever seen people use human wisdom to appraise you? Some of you say yes, some of you say no. They use human understanding, human philosophy, human Sophia. Okay? They make an appraisal of you, and what is your response to it if it's negative? It hurts. Why? 
Why does it hurt? Because you live a life based on your understanding, your wisdom, your whatever you've been through in life. And he says, why are you hanging on to that stuff? Look at chapter 3, verses 1 following. I speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the... As to infants in Christ. Men of the flesh. Do we understand what men of the flesh is? These are... This, do you understand who he's writing to? He's writing to a church. He says, but you are still fleshly in verse 3. Why? Why does Paul say this church that is lacking in no gift, who was founded by the Apostle Paul and his team, who brought Apollos in, who's had people from Peter come and speak in this church, and God has worked amazing in a very horrible pagan city. Why does he say you're still a flesh? Look what he says. There's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking how? Like mere men. How do mere men walk? Temporal understanding. Temporal understanding. Why? If I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. How's the church look today in America? If I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. What happened to the power of God? Because the power of God says, I do this and nobody can stop it. I'm going to take you one more text, all right? Ephesians chapter 4. I'm getting here. Chill out. Because I want you to see this because this church is affected by who? Society. The society in which it exists, right? Okay, now listen. Some of you have come to faith in later age. Some of you came to faith at the magic number of eight. Um, I guess you get 8 and 11, and then you got 20s or 30s. (laughs) I think that's how that thing works. (laughs) It's like, you know, I hit, you know, high school or whatever and just went down to turtlet boy. But the thing is, let me explain something to you. If you got saved early, what is the greatest single influence into your understanding of what life is right now? Be honest. And I'll tell you, it's the world. Why? What principles would your parents teach you? When you look at your parents, were they saved? When they walked, did they walk as Christ or did they walk as the world? And I'll I'll deal with this in a minute. Because you've got to get a hold of this. What is the great, what has the bulk of the input of information into your brain been? I don't care who you are. Man's wisdom. So, what? how do you respond in light of the world? Okay. Let me show you something really cool. Chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord. You know he's in jail right now. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. And he blames it on Jesus. Okay. The prisoner of the Lord. That's what it says. Jesus put me in jail. Why? So I'd write. Okay, I implore you. What? Walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called. How does that look? 
humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance to one another in love. Now, look what he says here. Look what verse 3 says. Being diligent to do what? Preserve. What is that? The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. Which would that be? The church. One Spirit. Just as also you have been called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, I want to back up there because I want you to show I want to show you something. Alright, the problem that was happening in the church in Corinth was that there were schisms, there was jealousy, there was strife, there was division. Why? Man's wisdom was trying to be blended with God's wisdom. Alright? And it says that if I stand in God's wisdom, what happens? There is already, now, it's here, a unity in the Spirit. And my responsibility is to... What? Preserve it. Alright? Now, does it say that Terry's responsibility is to preserve it? The pastor's responsibility is to, The elder's responsibility to preserve it? Whose responsibility is it? So if you have a difficulty in the body of Christ right now, whose problem is it? But you just don't understand that person. Let me tell you something. I've been in this church long enough to know that I can't change anybody. Even when I'm right. Both of those times. I couldn't get him to see it. Okay? And you know what? One time the person came back and said, you know what, you're right. Then they fell over dead. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Come on, come on, line up. All right? Why? Where is the peace? Where is the unity? Why do we believe we have to manufacture it? Okay, back to your text. 1 Corinthians 7. Every one of you are sitting there today with a whole bushel basket full of man's wisdom. But you have laying on your lap the brain of God. It's kind of cool. Paul expands these three basic ideas on marriage and singleness. Singleness is good. Singleness is a gift. And you should remain wherever you're at in the society in which you exist, all right? So he expands it. Okay, Paul by the Spirit is going to expand this. I want to jump into this. We're going to have to do a bunch of word stuff going on here now. So I want to look now concerning parthone. Parthone. Okay, this word is an unmarried person. It is translated virgin. Why? Because there is a definite article here that is feminine. So it's always referred to an unmarried single woman who's never been married. Okay? It's used in Revelations 14, 14, and it speaks of single men, but it has a masculine definite article 
used at that time. Now, I want to show you something else here because he says, I have no command of the Lord. We've looked at this in depth. And, he said, and what is so cool about the Apostle Paul, he says, I have no direct statement that the Lord has said. Okay? I can't quote any recorded words of Christ. Jesus didn't say anything about this that is recorded, that is noted. All right? When the Lord commands it, the Paul says it. When the Lord doesn't give any command, the Apostle Paul says it. Verse 10, But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. Okay? Direct command. Verse 12, But to the rest I say... Not the Lord. Okay? Now I want to take you back to your text. Concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord. And then the New American Standards translation says, (coughs) Excuse me. But I give an opinion. Controversy begins. Now we are looking at a man dealing with the culture of the time. And this is Paul's opinion. And you can disregard anything from this point forward. Okay, well, let me read the rest of it. I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Okay, I am giving a judgment, he says. I am giving, this is practical. Why? There are issues, he is telling you and I, that the Lord spoke of directly and emphatically. And there are some that the Lord didn't. Of the issues that the Lord did not speak, the apostles did. Okay? Sometimes when the apostles speak it, it's absolute. It's a command. It is black and white. All right? Sometimes it's a guideline. Sometimes it's not absolute. Now think about what he's saying. I want you all to stay single. Can that be absolute? No. If you have already been, he's already dealt with, if you've already been gifted, then what should you do? Exercise the gift. Stand up. Watch the majesty and the power of he who spoke existence into being be played out in your life. I'm giving you a guideline. I'm giving you something that you really need to take into consideration. And I'm going to show you some stuff here because this is troubling to me. This hurts me. Listen, I'm going to give you a little footnote on here. Um, This is not just Paul's advice. Okay, this is not Paul saying, I think you really ought to take this into consideration. Who is he speaking through? Spirit of the living God. So now I can look at it and say, the Holy Spirit is saying, you had better take this into consideration. Okay, it's not an absolute. He can't say that all must be single. He can't say that all must be married. Some there is marriage, some there is singleness. Paul gives a general principle. All right? So if I look at verse 25, I can say, concerning virgins... There's no direct quote of the Lord that I can give you, but I'll give you my assessment, not just as a man, but one who has obtained mercy 
to be trustworthy from God. Trustworthy means to be believable, faithful. It's a form of the word pistos. Pistos is the word that you get faith from. But it has a delineation on the end of it that says, in the pattern of this faith, this one is trusted. So Paul is saying, what I am speaking is from God because of His mercy. He has seen that I can be trusted. It's not a counsel of a very wise man, but one who has obtained mercy from the Lord. One who is worthy of the confidence to speak forth of God. Paul felt himself indebted to the mercy of God for inward truths. Have you? When God shows you something from your own studies of Scripture, do you feel indebted to the mercy that He just gave that to you? Interesting thought. Verse 26. I think that it is good. Okay? In view of the present distress, that it is good for a man. Now look what he just did. Dun, 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 dun. You watching this? He starts out in verse 25 that I want females who are not married to do what? Stay single. And now he does what in 26? Men, if you are a man and you are a woman and you have been gifted with singleness, I think, I think you really should consider this because I have been found trustworthy by God to give this counsel that you should consider it. You should look at this. You should pray about this. You should embrace this. Is it possible that God would have me remain single? Male or female? Okay, now, now watch what he said. Watch what he does here. This is good stuff. I think that it is good. Mitzo. I think that it is good. I hold the conviction that this is good. This isn't Paul just saying, you know what, I, this might be a good idea. Uh, in light of the things that are dealing with in our lives and your certain situation, he's saying, I hold a conviction. I am not guessing at this. I am not throwing this up and hoping God blesses it. I am convinced of what I am dealing with. Okay? Do you see what Paul's dealing with? There was a problem in the Corinthian church over singleness and marriage, isn't there? Look around the church today. Is there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you ever thought about how much energy you use in dating? I haven't for a long time. <laughs> I don't have to think about that anymore. <laughs> okay? I'm not allowed to think about that anymore. Okay? And he's saying, in your singleness it's good if you have the gift it's good okay and I say to you brothers and sisters in Christ we need to be extremely careful to make judgments on single people I believe that this is one of the greatest dangers in our day that is the introduction to six points that I will not cover today Okay? First is the pressure of our society. Pressure of our society. Let me show you what it says here. The present distress. Anike. You know what it literally means? Anike? Violence. 
It's violence. It's not talking about, you know, well, you know, every once in a while I lust. No, man, I'm talking about let's take and kill people. In light of the present violence, Paul is saying. Now listen, do you know when this letter is written? About 53, 54, 55 A.D. Do you understand that wholesale violence against Christendom has not broken out? Let me show you this term in a couple of different places, and maybe it'll help you. Okay, Um, In Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 23, says this. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave. What's he talking about? I don't get what he says. That's the picture that he's given you. All right, verse 23. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress. Same word, anarchy. Anarchy. You know what he's talking about here? This is a great tribulation. He uses the same word. Great tribulation says... You poor people, poor women who are pregnant, to have to deal with that. First um, Thessalonians three. <clears throat> Is that right? Yeah. First Thessalonians three, verse seven says this: For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and afflictions, we are comforted about you through your faith. Okay. Paul's already done all of his church, his ministry in Asia Minor. When he's writing Corinthian letters, this is his third missionary trip. He's already been shipwrecked. He's already been beaten with rods several times. He's been arrested about everywhere he goes. He's been stoned and left for dead. And he's saying, you know what? I see it only getting worse. It's only getting worse. In 2 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 6, verse, uh, what have I got here? 4. But in everything, committing ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and affliction and hardship and in distresses, in beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleepless nights and hunger and purity and in knowledge and in patience and kindness and in Holy Spirit and genuine love. Wow. The pluses and minuses of ministry. <laughs> Beatings, imprisonment, tumults, and labor, sleepless, and hunger. Why? These are distresses. This is violence that is against the gospel. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is ministry. If you will minister, 2 Corinthians is your book. You will not minister if you have not bowed to 1 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10. I am well content in weakness and with insult and with violence, with persecution, with difficulty, for Christ's sakes, for when I'm weak, I am strong. Okay? Paul's basically saying, you know what? My counsel is something that you really should consider in light of the present violence. You'd be better off single. You'd be better off single. Kittle and Zodiades is kind of interesting in their understanding of these words. This is a quote. Denotes the tension that exists between the new creation in Christ and the old creation, unquote. When a person comes a Christian, 
do you understand that immediately they'd get, go into a violent conflict with the system? If they're truly saved. And here's what I want you to grab from this. What is the first three chapters of the letter dealing with? Man's wisdom. And I'm going to follow the teachings of Paul. Or I like this teacher better. I like this system better. Or I like this translation better. Or I like da 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 And you know what you just did? You literally took man's wisdom and put it into conflict with God. Why? I've made man's wisdom foolish. It's silly. It's overrated. Paul is speaking of a violence, of distress, of pain, of suffering that will come to anyone who confesses the name of Christ. His last letter he wrote to Timothy, he says, anyone who would walk in Christ's righteousness, what will happen? Will be persecuted. That's one of those that you hear the crazy Cajun say, guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's difficult to be a Christian. It is especially difficult to be a married Christian because of the distress and violence of the system. What does the system do to a Christian? It oppresses, it presses, it convicts, it confuses, it entangles, it tries to drag you down. Now put a wife in it. I'm not saying that the wife is the system and she's doing it. But what I am saying is, as a husband, now what do I to do. I have to fight what the system is doing to me. I have to protect her from what the system will try to do to her. I have to lift her up and I have to keep myself up. And Paul says, I would bear you that. I would spare you that. I don't want to see you have to suffer with that. Listen, this is a guy who's not writing because, well, hey, you know, I think this is good policy. Listen, He's already dealt with the churches in Asia. This is his third missionary trip. He's been into towns. He's been in jails. He's been beaten in towns. He's been stoned in towns. He's been whipped. He's been been beaten with poles. He's been arrested. He's been thrown in jail for no reason. He has pain and suffering, physical, emotional. And now then, imagine the intensity that the Apostle Paul would have if he had a dear wife at home and little ones. Would it complicate what he was going through? Everything Paul endured, he would have had in the back of his mind, who will take care of my wife and my little apostles? How can I keep doing this with my precious wife at home in fear, on the constant edge of heartbreak? How can I do that? Let me tell you something. I have that. In my ministry, I have had enormous heartache. In my ministry, I have literally had the fabric of my soul torn. And yet I have to protect her. I, I don't want her to have to deal with that. And now, then I got all, oh, man, now I got kids. What am I going to do with my kids? What about the personal attacks? What about the personal attacks that say people would like to attack me, but I'm going to take it to his wife to get at him? Whoa! 
Look, he's got three kids. Let's take it to his kids and we'll really stick him. And you carry it in the back of your head. Why? And he's saying, if you're gifted and you're single, use your gift. Have you ever heard the tradition of Peter? We always talk, talk about Peter being crucified upside down. And we always think, oh, that's man, he's, you know, I am not worthy to die as Christ died. Crucified me upside down. We all think about Peter and we think, that's going to be me. I'm out of here, buddy. They're going to persecute me. You know, I tell everybody that I'm not going to the tribulation. I won't stop preaching the gospel. I'll go up to Antichrist's house. Excuse me. You're dead. Okay. Do you know the whole story of the tradition? Of Peter's crucifixion? Let me give you the rest of the story. That'd be a good show, wouldn't it? The day before his crucifixion, they drug his wife out of the same prison cell and stuck her, stuck, put her cross right in front of his window and they crucified her. Grab that one. You know what he said? It's for Christ, and you shall see him soon. Listen, man, I could be crucified upside down, right side up, inside out, left side, left. It doesn't matter to me. I don't know if I could do that with my wife. I don't get ruined my testimony. The Corinthians also should have remembered what happened at the founding of their church. The Jews tried to do to Paul when he came into their city. I don't want to get into it in Acts chapter 18. But he went to the synagogue and he reasoned day in and day out and day in and day out. And Crispus wanted him killed. And then out of the, he, Crispus is like the grand poobah of the synagogue. He is the leader of the synagogue. And he sat down and he reasoned with Peter or with Paul. And guess what happened? <laughs> Crispus got saved. All right, so they brought and Sosthenes. And Sosthenes came in and he said, this man is ruining the city and took, actually took legal charges to the court. He brought charges against Paul, sued him in court. And the judge beat Sosthenes because he says, this is some stupid matter over a single God who doesn't exist. You guys are idiots. Okay, you know what's really cool? <laughs> Paul's last letter to Timothy, he says, Bring Sosthenes to me. I have use of him. And I'm thinking, ah, he keeps putting leaders into that synagogue, and Paul keeps getting them saved. But, but do you understand that? I got people who like me. I got people who like the same God I like. They like the same Bible I like, and they want to sue me. And Paul could see it coming. Paul is anticipating something. Let me tell you what he was anticipating. Okay? Just in case, you know, maybe that was just Paul. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because the world hates you. That was Jesus just before he was arrested and crucified. John's Gospel, 15th chapter. Chapter 16, he says, These things I have spoken to you that you may 
be kept from stumbling. Corinthians, this letter, 54, was written by 67 when Paul was removed of his head. Nero literally took Christianity and the killing of Christians as a sport. He liked to take animal skins and sew Christians into it and throw it in the arena of the gladiators and watch animals eat them. He had a great festivity where he would dip skins in wax and oil and then he would put them on Christians, tape them to poles and light them and use them as torches as they would have orgies in his commons area of the garden. He thought this was festive. Paul saw that one coming. Now, I I need to keep this in mind that the counsel here is for you who are gifted. The pressure is coming, the pressure of the system, and it will be against the, um, the believer. Look at verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Where you're at, stay. Why? The system is going to come after you. Okay? Now I read this and you think about being sewn in skins and thrown out and eaten and set on fire. And and you say, well, come on, dude. Look, it's 04, 2004. There are those today in the body of Christ who are gifted with singleness. How does this apply to me? What does it mean to know this present distress? What does it mean to know the pressure of this system? Are we really facing this? I mean, we've got a couple of screwball people who want to take in God we trust off the dollar. We don't want the Ten Commandments in the courtroom. Come on. But we ain't crucifying people. We ain't arresting people. We ain't blowing things up. And it says, you said that this is a time of violence. I look around. Come on. Let me tell you something. In this room right now, it is a time of violence. And it is growing. Let me tell you what my Bible says. Matthew's Gospel 24 and 25, it says at the end of the age, we'll be characterized by these things. War, famine, disease, earthquake, persecution. And it's going to get worse um, as that time of the great tribulation approaches. Understand that there is a travail which is three and a half years, and then there is a great tribulation, which is three and a half years. We have in our mindset that the great tribulation is seven years. It's three and a half years. There is a travail of three and a half years. After the removal of the church, some of you want to stay. Go ahead. Some of these things are becoming real now. Not only that, it's growing. Have you ever heard this statement? I remember when we used to have our doors unlocked. Hmm. 
I, in just 24 hours, have heard of two babies that were carried full term and delivered by their mothers and dumped in trash cans. One's on life support, the other one's dead. I have seen killings for cars, seen killings for shoes. Let me ask you a question. Are there more false teachers now than there was a year ago? Do you think there's more evil men now than there was a year ago? We have a war on terrorism. Let me tell you something. No, it isn't. It is a religious war. Don't ever think that it's not. Please, are you that silly? These people want you to believe what they believe, and they will kill you if you don't. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, if you walk in it, you will be persecuted. If you walk in what? The righteousness of Christ. Right now, I tell you exactly now as you sit here that there is a violence against your faith right now and it may be you. We live and we exist in an insecure and a very explosive world. We are making plans. I think I want to do this when I grow up. I think that I go to college and I'll be this as I grow up. You know, if I could just find someone and settle down and, you know, what is that word that I heard? D- get roots. Is that right? Roots. They're, I don't know. Maybe they don't do that no more. You know, if I could settle down and whatever. You know what happens? You become content with what? A world system that hates Christianity. And you are at ease with it. What happened? This is a difficult world. Being married only complicates that. It multiplies the difficulties. I have told you many times that I am in this race to win. I do not want to place. I want to win. Not ever realizing that making that statement will only open up my lovely children and my precious bride to an assault that I had never dreamed of. I fall in love with the church every day. I fall in love with the people of the church. My love only grows longer and my heartache only grows greater. It does not get better. It only intensifies. And you don't think that you're not in a violent place? Paul is telling all of us the pressure of the world because we need to be aware that the pressure of the system that is here and it will only grow more fearful in its violence. Anybody here looked at the end of end of the end of the age in the book of Revelations? Would you agree with me looking at that conclusion of the age that for a Christian as we get nearer to that culmination of what God is doing the price will be higher 
for our faith? Let me ask you a silly question. What price are you paying now for your faith? Evil men have been getting worse and worse. Apostasy grows. The mystery of iniquity that Paul speaks of in 2 Thessalonians is already at work. 2 Thessalonians is written in 51 AD. And if that mystery of iniquity was warned of getting worse, how is it today? Oh, but it's in... Really? Do you understand that the mystery of iniquity has a focus Its single focus is to draw towards the end of the evil age in a tribulation in which Satan will control a human being and it will be all out slaughter for anyone who would profess Jesus Christ in any manner or form. That's the plan. There isn't tolerance. It isn't can't we get along. We hate you, the world says. Now let me ask you a question. How's come we today don't feel it? And I think that's your problem. Because I feel it. It hurts me to the core of my being. It is a wound that I know that cannot heal. Persecution is going to rise. There will be a higher price to pay for your faith or not to pay. The pressure of our society is set against Christ and his representatives. If you're single and you have the gift... I myself, my dear brother Paul, and the Spirit of the living God would tell you, stay where you're at. Stay where you're at.